Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. It's an international break, so there's not a ton of Tottenham Hotspur news to talk about, which I guess could be good or bad, depending on how you're looking at it. But we are back for an international edition of Wheeler Dealer Radio to answer some questions and talk about our upcoming match. Uh, it is just myself and Brian Ashlock this week, because apparently Ben uh, can't hang and is still working off a hangover from last week. Uh, Brian, as... As a fellow Southerner uh, and a hearty Midwesterner at heart, uh, how, how, are you ashamed of our of, of our uh, co-host that he that he just can't keep it together like we can? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm confused a little bit. Are you saying that you are a Southerner or that Ben is a Southerner? I think it depends. I think you, but you know, I I, I don't know. Ben is definitely you, a Southerner. You know, look, there's some debate as to whether like Florida is in the South or if it's like just like. Florida is its own thing, but like, yeah. All right, but regardless, yes, I am disappointed in Ben. <laughs> as as usual. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's my permanent state of being, really. So, uh, we're let's start with internationals. Um, I don't really feel the need to talk about any results, um, although I gotta say, as an American, watching an American international game where we played well was a very surreal experience that I expect not to happen that often in the future. But aside from that, I I don't know. I generally hate international breaks and I think they're pointless and stupid, but during COVID, I, I, they're a special level of stupid Spurs right now have, I mean, I can't imagine Matt Doherty is going to be playing anytime soon considering he is a confirmed COVID positive. Uh, we know some other players were in contact. I think Bale obviously was pictured hugging uh, Doherty after their uh, the Wales game with uh, Ireland. We know um, Son was playing alongside some COVID positive players. We haven't heard anything about them not playing this week, but I, I, it just seems extremely stupid to be playing international football given everything that's going on right now. Yeah, international football is dumb. Like in the best of circumstances, honestly, like. Yeah, the fact that we interrupt the club season in September and October and November and whatever the case, whatever the actual time periods are that we interrupt the club season to do like dumb friendlies or whatever, like it, it's it's not it doesn't make sense. It's just so you know FIFA can make its money, and so you know it's stupid anyway. And then now in this pandemic where. You're trying to foster, like, a little, like, mini bubble within your league. And, like, I understand, like, the Champions League or Europa League, like, takes you out of your bubble. But, like, you're still aware of what the players around you are doing. And international football really throws all of that out of whack. And, and you know, you see that with Sun, who, you know, has you know, four or five of his teammates for South Korea test positive. Um, you know, and... We, we haven't seen that with any other players other than Doherty himself testing positive, but it's just, it's annoying. Like, 
this isn't something that sh- needs to be happening. This isn't something that should be happening. Like the qualifiers for Euro over the summer have already taken place. Like the only justification for these matches is that it's making money for these federations. And it's just like, is that really what we need to be doing right now in the time of a global pandemic? Like pulling well, all these especially players. If, if, even if we just reduce it to money, you know, the money to be made here is getting these leagues and the champions league, you know, completed. And I understand that, you know, for, that doesn't necessarily apply to Korea or whatever. I mean, their league does, but they don't really necessarily care about the champions league, but it's just like, if you care about money, you want your league, you don't want your league season to be massively disrupted and sending guys across international borders in the middle of the pandemic just seems like an extremely bad idea. Yeah, it's just aggressively stupid. I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't care about international football at the best of times, and that's probably because the United States is bad. But if I were, you know, rooting for another team that was actually good and uh, cared about international football, still, it it seems irresponsible in this specific time period. Like, is there any benefit to England playing, like, three friendlies at this time? Like, you, they're already qualified for Euro. Like, what are we doing right now? What are you accomplishing other than making money for FIFA, for the, the, the FA? Like, that's what you're doing. You're not... You're not helping your players you're not protecting the product you're not protecting the league like you're you're just putting people at risk yeah i mean arguably that you're giving the team time together to train and get to know each other but like like you said is that really what is that worth all the the risk and problems that we're exposing ourselves to it's 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 very stupid i hate the interruption in the best of times now it's just downright ridiculous uh, I mean, the did, good thing is, is that we get like 19 weeks after this. We don't have like internationals until like March, so we get like a ton of club football now. Well, that'll be something. Uh, speaking of club football, we have a game this weekend, not on a Sunday for once, which I'm very excited about, and in America, it's not on a third-rate streaming service. So that's also something to be excited about. We are playing Manchester City this weekend. I, I know my my lying eyes have told me Manchester City has had a rough season so far. But I, I, I feel like I should be more optimistic about this game than I am. Uh, Spurs have played relatively well this year. I think that we're doing a good job of um, adjusting to this schedule. I think, I think that our style of play is designed in part to keep our players fit. I am curious to see. I think it's been a while since we've seen Mourinho game plan for a top-tier side, which he has done fairly well this season, I would argue. So Not I'm, just a top-tier side, Greg. A Pep Guardiola side. So so we're just going to bring, like, is, is, like, Harry Kane just going to, like, bring out a gun, like, just pull it out and shoot Sterling in the knee? Like. Look, all I'm saying is it's Mourinho versus Guardiola. It is it is the best managers in the world <laughs> against each other, and that is the only thing that matters. It's kind of amazing how little we've heard. Maybe I'm just sort of unplugged because of internationals, but I feel like we have not seen nearly as much of that narrative as you would um, like. You know, just think back a couple of years. I mean, it helps that you know Mourinho just hasn't been on Pep's level since he got to the Premier League, but. Boy, I, I don't feel like I've seen any of that talk. So, I mean, the, when you brought it up, it was just like, oh, yeah, like, that was a thing back in 2014 or whatever. Well, it's also just like it before it was Barca versus Real Madrid or 
City versus United. Like, now it's City versus Tottenham. And, like, is that as compelling as a rivalry? No, it's not. It's not even a real rivalry. Like, I don't care about beating City. But, like, it is still Pep versus Mourinho. And and you're right. It hasn't dominated the headlines. And it hasn't generated the sort of press clippings and the 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 think pieces that we would normally expect from a, a Mourinho versus Guardiola matchup. But, you know, that doesn't make it insignificant. So what, what do you see as City's sort of issues this year? Because they definitely haven't impressed. Even Liverpool, who I don't think have looked great this year, have looked a little bit more like Liverpool than City have looked like City, if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, I think if you look at City this year, the obvious problems have been, have started from the back. Um, I'm shocked. Really, I'm shocked yeah. that there's gambling in this establishment. They they really needed to strengthen in the center of defense, and they just they just didn't. And and they signed uh, Ruben Dias from Portugal, and he's been okay. Um, Hasn't solved but, all their problems though. But but you just ha- you just have you know they've had injuries like Stones hasn't been healthy and he is only you know so good and Otamendi hasn't been healthy and you've had Fernandinho playing as a as a center back and when Fer- Fernandinho plays as a center back he can't play in midfield and they don't really have a replacement for Fernandinho and and then Aguero hasn't been a hundred percent healthy and. There, there's been a lot of issues with this city team. Like there, there have been some good things that have happened. Like Fernand Torres has been interesting and actually much better than I thought he would be. And he has played as both a number nine and as an attacking midfielder. Oh, it's, it's criminal! I was so mad when City got him for the price they did. I, I, I've actually watched a lot more of La Liga than I used to over the last few years. He was real good at Valencia last year, and he is. It is a crime City was allowed to buy him. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Foden has gotten more time this year, and that's, you know, that's been good and interesting. And and so, like, I don't buy into the narrative that City are suddenly bad. I mean, they're off to a slower start than they have been in the past. Their defense has been not as good. They've been conceding more goals. I think their fullbacks are not very good. But I think they're better than the 10th place club in the league. Like, uh, this isn't where they're going to shake out to be in the long run. Um, that being said, I think the way that Spurs have played when they've played really well this year fits into playing a game against City. Like, you know, we've talked on the show before, like, we look the best when we are playing on the counter, when we are hitting teams on the break, when we are sitting back, and when we are doing the Jose Mourinho type stuff where we're utilizing Kane and Son and really taking advantage of teams. And I mean, City still want the ball. Like Pep hasn't changed his system. He doesn't just because his team has some mediocre results to start this year doesn't mean that he's all of a sudden decided he doesn't want the ball for sixty percent of the game. Like this match really plays into the hands of what Spurs and Jose Mourinho have done very well so far this year. What I think is interesting, and we're making a lot of suppositions and it's very early, but one thing I think it would be interesting, if it's true, 
is, you know, you're seeing this so far, and, you know, I think Mourinho is a manager that we all have thinks, think has, like, lost a step, or at least hasn't kept himself at that sort of top tier of managerial, um, you know, quality over the last couple seasons. And one thing, and again, it's a lot of supposition. I know Nathan Clark has talked a lot about this, but it seems like he's really adjusted his style of play to suit the fact that the schedule has been nuts ever since we restarted the league after COVID. And some of why we're playing the way we're playing is to keep our legs fresh and manage this difficult schedule. And I think if you look at, and I let's single out City here, and I would throw Liverpool in this, but some, there are some teams that play very physically demanding styles, that play very intricate styles, that require lots of coordination and understanding between players, presumably lots of repetition and stuff that happens in preseason and early in the year. And it doesn't seem, and this is cursory and early in the season, it doesn't seem like those teams have accounted for you know, the lack of ability to prepare and get everybody on the same page in the way that Mourinho has kind of adjusted what he's doing to account for what's happening with the schedule. And I don't know, it would be, I mean, this isn't an easy circumstance and it might not be a circumstance, hopefully, excuse me, hopefully it'll be a circumstance we never see again, but I think it would be very interesting if Mourinho, who is, you know, kind of been seen as a bit out of touch um, as a manager for the last few seasons, is the guy who sort of accounted for it best, at least at the top te- level of top tier teams. Because it sure seems like City and Liverpool just, I mean, they're still very good teams, but they're just, they're not clicking like they usually do. And I'm definitely interested to know if it's like, is it actually Mourinho accounting for this sort of thing? Or is it just like, that is Mourinho's style and it meshes better with, you know, the, the, the COVID era that there's, we're in? Yeah, there's a lot of chicken in the egg there. Um, but right, and so is, like... You know, you watch this team and I think there is a sort of... You could see, I think they're, you could tell they're saving their legs. They're playing in a certain way that doesn't tire their asses out. And I don't think that's entirely a coincidence. Even though we have a lot more depth this year, I don't think that's entirely a coincidence. Well, I mean, look, we'll, we'll know in March when we're yeah. like, ah, fuck, this is horrible. Um, or, or we're like, this is the best we've ever played. Uh, well, not even know, just I, that. Not even like the best we've ever played, but just like our Spurs. I'm seeing it in the NFL with my team, the Ravens. Like, they are walking wounded right now. And our like if our Spurs going to be able to sort of avoid a huge injury crisis, which knock on wood we kind of have so far that in a way other teams not, haven't necessarily done. And I think the other thing is is that we have tried in the transfer market this year for the first time in a long time to insulate ourselves from an injury crisis, where we've recognized that hey we need a second striker, hey we need you know more bodies at fullback. We need, you know, other people in midfield. You know, I, I, I think that, that if nothing else, we have bought players in a way that puts us in a position where if everybody else is dropping like flies or if everybody else is not adapting to a post-COVID sort of Premier League season, we have bodies to, to cope with it. In a way that City haven't so far, in a way that, you know, Liverpool didn't buy a central defender and now they're largely without, you know, Van Dyke and I think also Joe Gomez. Like, you know, we are 
depth-wise, much better positioned than those two teams right now. So are you feeling good about this game against City? Are you feeling like... Are you feeling worried about it? I mean, where where are you on the Spurs, you know, sort of... Where are you on the Spurs you know, on the ledge scale? <laughs> Honestly, like, City is never... In the past two or three years, City's not one of those games that I have ever expended a lot of emotional energy on. In that, you know, like, I'm never too worried about the outcome of it because when city were really good it was just like oh, if we lose to city we lose to city and and a couple times during that run we we beat city like there was the uh was it was it uh 16 17 season where we we had the really good result we beat them like 5-1 or well, that was Pep's or first year wasn't it yes yeah and, and so like you know, we have we have had a good history against City, and so for this season in particular, given their results and given how we've been playing, no, I'm not particularly worried about it. Not in the same way that I would be worried about, you know, the match against Chelsea the week after. You know, I I, I think I think I'm more concerned about Chelsea than I am about City. And and that's not a reflection on, you know, Frank Lampard being a better manager than Pep Guardiola or Chelsea having a better team than City. It's just that the City match doesn't inspire as much emotion. I think it's a game that we can be generally dispassionate about and then we can go out there and execute our game plan. I think the Chelsea match being, you know, or, or, or Arsenal or West Ham, you know, it's a rivalry match. It has more things riding on it. And, and I think... For City, we can just go out and play our game. And I'm very confident about that, you know, that Jose Mourinho style this year against, you know, what Pep has shown this year. Yeah, I I think that's kind of where I am on it. It's, you know, I think the teams are close enough that this could shake out in a lot of different ways. But I think that... You know, like you said, that there is a sort of dread absent from this. Like, it's going to suck if we lose the city, but like, you know, I don't know. Over the past few years, you just sort of train yourself. Like, well, losing to Pep Guardiola isn't the worst thing in the world, you know, that can happen to your team. Whereas there is definitely a sort of like, you know, you lose to Chelsea, you lose to an Arsenal. Even a Liverpool, like, that aggravates me in a way that losing to City just doesn't, even though I won't be happy about it. But... I don't know. It's a city feels close enough that we can win, but they're still good enough where if they beat us, it's not going to feel like a shock. Uh, I know that well, that sounds like a cop out, but and I mean the other thing is is just like this city team as constructed right now and as it's performing right now, you want to think that they're going to get back into the top four. So, but you don't really feel like they're going to challenge for the title. So a loss or a draw doesn't necessarily feel like a bad result. Like, like, look, we're competing with city for top four. I think that, I think that's anybody would acknowledge that. I don't think there's any runaway title favorites right now, but I think there are five or six teams that are competing for those top four places. So you don't want to drop points to, City, but I think 
right now a draw or a loss isn't the end of the world. Um, it, I don't know. I just, I just don't have as much riding on this game specifically as I do on like the matches after this, as as you know, Chelsea, Arsenal. Um, you know, we've got matches in December against Leicester and Liverpool. I feel like those are much more make or break for the season than this City matches. Yeah, but it would be nice to sort of keep City in that hole. Absolutely. No, it would absolutely be great to keep them, you know, kind of mid-table for a little while and, and show that we are still top of the table. Like, I, I, I 100% want that. But it, if it doesn't shake out that way... It concerns me less than losing to Arsenal, for example. So yeah, it's we we got a big game this weekend. I think that's what we've got to say about that. Um, we're going to move into some questions uh, as we start this up. But uh, you know, I want to lead us off with something. I don't know if we told we some obvious questions. Um, Brian, as you look back uh, at your time watching football, what's the most exciting goal you've ever seen, either as a fan or just in general? Uh, the most ex- uh Okay, so... I think it has to be the USA goal against Algeria. Yeah, yeah, the Donovan goal. Yeah, I... You know, like... There are some Spurs goals that are exciting, like the Stalteri goal against West Ham is exciting, Bale against West Ham, all of the Bale goals against Inter, um, you know, Lucas Mora in the Champions League, the 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 final goal to send us through. Um, those are all exciting, but I I think I think the one I had the most visceral reaction to is either that third Lucas Moura goal against Ajax or the Donovan goal against Algeria. Those are both good goals, both important. I think the one that I remember having the most visceral reaction to was appropriately enough for our opponent this weekend was Bale's third, was the third goal we scored against City in our sort of six-minute comeback where Bale just popped it over Joe Hart to put us up 3-1. I, I guess that was Bale's last season with Spurs before he transferred to Madrid, but I was about to say last season at Spurs, but that's not true anymore because he's back. That was such a... I was hung over after a wedding, and I was sitting at a hotel bar and just, like, barely paying attention to the game, and just, like, you know, we'd start mounting this comeback, and I just get irrationally exuberant, <laughs> and then I'm, like, throwing things when we, like, when Bale finally puts that ball in. That was just such a good goal. I that, I think that's like a really underrated set of highlights in the in the Gareth Bale oeuvre. Um, I I think those two goals that he scored in that game and the assist that he had for Dempsey are just utter, well actually only one goal. He only scored one goal in that game, but his assist to Dempsey and that goal were just utterly ridiculous. Well, and if you want to talk about goals, you know, against Man City, you know, the Peter Crouch goal. Mm. I mean, yeah, look, I. I don't know. I I just think like I I definitely remember how I reacted to the Lucas Moura goal because I got yelled at um by by my wife and and then I also remember definitely how I reacted to the 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 Land Donovan goal against Algeria because I was just in a bar full of people and it's just like th- those are the two like most impactful goals definitely. 
So, looking back at your history as a soccer fan, who is the player that you have most wanted to fight? Oh, most wanted to fight? You're a big, you're a big Midwestern lad. You, you, you. I, I feel like you would be, you know, unlike me, you would be very good enough. I feel like you could hold your own for a little bit against some of these trains. You're, you're a little bit taller than me. I think. yeah, but you could, you could, you could throw some bales of hay around. I'm not going to do that. So. Yeah, no, I can, but I'm also the thing you forget, and you know, I'm also kind of like very non-confrontational. Well, no, I'm verbally confrontational, but not <laughs> physically confrontational. So, like, you know, I think about, like, a Joey Barton. Like, I would like to beat up Joey Barton, but I know very much that Joey Barton could beat me up. Um, only only because he would use that razor blade he keeps in his mouth all the time. Right. And, the, and like, look, the same thing with Jack Wilshire. Like, I would love to punch oh, little see, Jack no, Wilshire. I, I would take you in a fight with Jack Wilshire. I, I would, no, I would I put mean, all I my money on you. Dirty and I'm just not prepared for it. Like I would, I want it to be very gentlemanly and, you know, Queens, <laughs> the Queens rules and all that sort of stuff. Um, I don't know. The player I most wanted to fight. Uh, I mean, yeah, Wilshire's a really good, I mean, in terms of Spurs players that I've wanted to fight. <laughs> this like, ought to be good. <laughs> Like I definitely really wanted to fight David Bentley. Real uh, for me, it would be Lewis Holtby. Like I would. <laughs> well, yeah, of course it would. Partially because, be. like, it's one of the few guys I'm kind of confident I could win against. But it, like, God, I fucking hate Lewis Holtby so much. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't pick Ryan Mason now. That's that's just me. <laughs> everything that happened. Um, no, I. Yeah. yeah, opposing players. I think it has to be Wilshire because one, I think I could. I could hold my own against Wilshire. And I don't know, Mark Noble also. Like, I feel like Sissoko squared up to him. I'm bigger than Sissoko. I could square up to Mark Noble. <laughs> I feel like picking West Ham players isn't fair, but, you know. Yeah. But also well, a perfectly I mean, legitimate choice. As well. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. See, I, and, and this is me. I'm not speaking for other Tottenham Hotspur fans or anything, but I I have much more sort of antagonism towards teams and fan bases as opposed to individual players. Because I, on on like an intellectual level, I understand that players are just being paid to do a job, Um, and so there are very few players that I that I identify with our rivals in a way that makes me angry. Like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe Cesc Fabregas. Like, maybe I would yeah, like Yeah, I was going to say Cesc. Like, that guy repeatedly made our lives miserable for a very prolonged period of time on several teams, as it would turn out. But, like, Olivier Giroud. I have no desire to fight Olivier Giroud. He seems like a wonderful person. Um, you know and he's I very would, handsome. You know who I would really want to fight? And I think, I, I actually, I take your point. It's granted, these guys are players. Most of them don't give a shit. Like, they are paid to do this. Like, they really don't care about other teams' fans. But I'll tell you one guy who I absolutely doesn't think care about any rivalry, but I would still want to fight him, is Samir Nasri. All right. Like, fuck that guy. Like, first of all, first of all, play for Arsenal. He was the first, like, win. And it was funny. We won that game. It was that 3-2 win at the Emirates, our first win at the Emirates. And I remember it was it was one of those moments I knew I was going to stick with being a Tottenham fan because he scored the second goal for Arsenal in that game. And he's running around slapping that badge with that fucking look on his face, like, you know, looking like a slapped asshole. And 
I just like got so angry watching that, and all I could think about was like, like I, you know, it was like, okay, I actually care enough that I fucking hate this guy, but he generally looks like a piece of shit, and I don't know, I, I feel like he is very hateable, and also I'd like my chances in that fight, but actually, these are professional athletes; they would kick all like, of our I asses. Guess in the but same way, like Theo Walcott might be like someone you would want to fight like like him going off on the stretcher and holding up the two nil you know like i i would fight him i think i could take him <laughs> especially when he's on a stretcher yeah absolutely <laughs> definitely when he's on a stretcher Ar- the, the the arson wenger too that could that could be a good you know it's weird i kind of like arson wenger like overall oh, like, brian i know like i just find like did we keep the wrong Brian on this podcast, Brian? Is that <laughs> no, what? no, we definitely didn't. Um, I pronounce things correctly sometimes. Uh, you, you know, look, he modernized the approach of English football, and he, like he did a lot of good things. And like, I, I don't know, I think he's fine. Yeah, but it was really funny when he stepped up to Martin Yole that one time and immediately realized what a mistake he. Made. Oh yeah, that that was definitely funny. But you know, I, and again, could definitely take him, but I think. Still, I, I think he's fine. I, I wouldn't. I, he wouldn't even be in my top ten. Okay, so what is the angriest you've been after a Spurs game? Could be. A, I'm assuming it's a loss or a draw, but it could be a win, I suppose. I don't know. See, like, I I, I guess I have a recency bias because I think of some of the things in the last couple seasons. I think of you know, like losing the Champions League. Um. But I don't remember. Well, you know, I handled that one. You saw how emotionally mature I was at that during that game. <laughs> but, but that's the thing is, we watched it together. I don't feel like either of us felt anger so much as just like this was what was supposed. Well, you to know, happen. anger at a cruel, unloving God, perhaps, but not right. you know. It was just like fatalism, like yeah. a very much like this. Well, oh yeah, this is absolutely what was going to happen if we got into a Champions League final. Um. You know, I, I've talked about on this on this on this podcast before that like recent in terms of recency, I feel the Arsenal Chelsea, or, or, excuse me, the Chelsea Tottenham rivalry much more strongly than I feel the Arsenal Tottenham rivalry, and, and because we don't live in North London or whatever, and so like, you know, the battle at the bridge. Like, that is the game that I remember being viscerally angry after because we so much lost not only, you know, a shot at winning the league, which I don't even know that we necessarily had coming into that game. But, but it, you know, mathematically, we were still in it at that point. And then we just, just, we just let the rivalry get to us so much that we really... You know, Musa Dembele, who is like the epitome of calm, cool, and collected, is gouging eyes in that match. And like, so like, I I think that is the match that I remember most being like most upset, most angry after. Yeah. So I think the game that frustrates me the most. I mean, there's a lot of like, like you said, there's just sort of like general ennui after the Liverpool Champions League match. There's there's games where I've probably there's a lot of games where I've been angry, but certainly the one that sort of pops into my head is that fucking Newcastle game at the end of the year we lost the title to Leicester, which was, you know, that's a good one. I mean, that game sucked. I mean, for the obvious reasons, but like the thing I always remember is like, 
we kind of pissed away the, the you know, we, we weren't able to overtake Leicester, and it became kind of clear. But I remember that thing that we had for, it felt like a month, but it might not have been that long. I can't remember. It was like, you know what? At least we're going to finish above Arsenal. Like, for what, like, you know, no matter what else you could say about this year, they can't shove St. Totteringham's Day up our ass. Like, we're going to really be able to be dicks about them. And, you know, and it wasn't just a lucky thing. We were, we were a better team than them in the league that year. It was like, by any standard, we deserved to finish above Arsenal that year. And somehow we managed to not do that. And it's... Finished third in a two-horse race. Yeah, I, that, that is pretty bad, yeah. And it was like, the thing about that game was like, immediately you're like, oh, this isn't good. And then it spiraled out of control in a way where you're just like... You just get angrier and angrier. <laughs> it was like watching the 2016 election returns. You just... You're like, how is this happening? This shouldn't happen. This is, and you just get, and, and you just lose track of who to get angry with. Like, yeah, no, that sounds about right. And the worst thing about that game was we went straight from that in the summer. So you had like probably the best season I'd ever seen as a Spurs fan. Probably the best season that, you know, a lot of people have seen as a Spurs fan in a very long time. And you can't even go into the summer feeling good about it. Because you've got this shit sticking in your craw, and at a minimum, it's going to take like a day or two for you just to forget about it. Assuming you're not just going to like eat shit all summer. And we bought Musa Sissoko right after that, so. Yeah, at least Musa Sissoko is like, yeah, it's been like a meme at least, so it's not like, you know, Lewis Holtby or something, but yeah, it, it, it didn't work. It had a lot of negative knock on consequences. So I think this this next question is a really important one that I'm curious for your thoughts on. What, what Premier League manager do you think would win a competitive eating competition? Uh, competitive eating competition? Uh, I'm tempted to say Brendan Rodgers just because I feel like he is the most committed to bits, basically. Not, not winning necessarily, but just like if you told him that we were doing competitive eating, he would be the one that would be most seriously engaged in the practice of winning competitive evening. Um, I mean, Steve Bruce at Newcastle seems like he could put away a few pies. Uh, I, I really do think, though, that it depends on what we're competitively eating. Like, so, so, so what are we, are we doing? Like hot dogs? We're we doing, chicken I mean, wings? you know, if there's anything I've learned from American competitive eating competitions is there is a competitive eating competition for anything. Ranging from waffles and hot dogs to shrimp, which I can't imagine competitively eating shrimp. I mean, I can't imagine competitively eating anything. I really no, can't imagine though, competitively, competitively eating, eating like peel and eat shrimp. I'm 100 percent down for it. I oh, feel like no. I'd be oh, right, very no. good at competitively eating peel and eat shrimp. I little Old Bay, little cocktail sauce. I'm I'm ready for it. Well, I think you are on board with the Old Bay. That is definitely the important thing about any competitive eating. But, yeah, it's it's just, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you think about Kobayashi, right? Like, he's not a big guy. So, would Pep Guardiola, would he have, like, you know, like how Joey Chestnut has the innovative, like, if he has two hot dogs he eats at once and he mashes the bun in his mouth, like, would that be what happens? No, because I think Pep is too concerned about how we approach diet and and sport. Um, so so So, honestly, really, I think you have to look at who are the big fat dudes in Premier League management. And there's just not a lot of them left. Like, you know, 
Steve Bruce is the is a bigger dude. Chris Wilder is not necessarily big, but like English and stout. Um, and that's pretty. I, am I maybe I'm missing somebody, but that's pretty My much. Wow, that's big Sam's music. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's not he's not even a Premier League manager anymore. So would you I, yeah, Harry, I can't really do you think Harry would have been competitive in this back in the day. Uh, like maybe not when not in his like Spurs era, you know, but maybe like before that, like maybe West Ham era, Harry Redknapp, maybe. Yeah. So now that we've answered all these hard hitting questions for me, I think it's time to get to some of the questions for our loyal listeners. Um, Anonymous Troll, which is a disturbingly good uh, name for one of our listeners. Wants to know what the over-under is on combined red cards, p- penalty kicks, and own goals for a back four concern- c- containing Serge Aurier, Sanchez, and Dyer. Uh, I mean, more. The answer is more. Whatever you yeah, did, the mean, answer is more. Whatever number we set it at, the, the answer is the over. Uh, I mean, for, the, the fortunate thing is that we seem to have realized that Sanchez and Dyer is not the best defensive partnership for us. And, and, and Serge Aurier, for whatever his defensive faults are, as I don't think he's been red carded yet. Um, and, uh, and, and Matt Doherty has had more, has conceded more penalties this season than Serge Aurier has in his entire time at Spurs. Uh, so, so, you know, I, while I agree with you that it's likely that we would uh, pick the over, um, I, I don't think the number is as high as we might like to think it is. Uh, Katza, uh, Pete, Peter Katza on Twitter wants to know, could Lucas be our best right wing back? I think I made this joke in response to him, but he's definitely our best far right wing back. <laughs> I see what you did there because he's a fascist. <laughs> uh, but, no, but, you know... Like, uh, no, because I think Aurier is still actually a, a decent right back slash right wing back for us. Um, you know, like we got to make the joke, so we did that. But if we're gonna if we're gonna do like actual oh, real, God, Brian. <laughs> if we're gonna do actual real analysis or tactics or whatever, I think Aurier is still fine. And, and I know we all bagged on him this summer, and we were like, oh, you know, look, he's. He's good for a foul throw every match, and he might concede a penalty or a dumb yellow card, and so and and that still remains true. But I still think he's our. Uh, we've looked our best as a team when Aurier has played right back. Well, I think with Aurier, the highs are higher and the lows are lower. It's you know I think Doherty is very much a sort of steady Eddie. Kind of like I would say, and I don't think we've exactly used Doherty in his best position so far, so maybe this is not an apt comparison, but kind of like Ben Davies on the other side of the pitch where, you know, he he does what he does, and it's like for better or for worse, he's going to sort of hew to his, you know, the performance, and there's not going to be a ton of variation there. Whereas with Aurier, he's capable of having these excellent games, and he's also capable of not being able to properly execute a throw-in. <laughs> So it's, you know, it's very much like, is the sort of lower baseline of play worth cutting out the dumb shit that you get with Aurier versus do you want to risk, like, getting, you know, okay, you're going to get some great games out of Aurier occasionally. Is that worth all the dumb shit? And, 
Look, I, I very much disagree in that I hate Matt Doherty, and um, he has done nothing, aside from the assist to Harry Kane um, for the most recent winner. Hey, he should have had a goal against Newcastle. Nah, he's done literally nothing for Spurs, and he's garbage. He's a bad signing. Do you think that's Do you think that's because of how we're using him, or because of the type of, or because of how he's played? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, look, he played as a wing back in the West, in the the Wolves system. He, where he had basically zero defensive responsibility, and he was able to just get into the box be like an extra man in attack, get on the end of some uh some crosses at the like ghost in at the far post and like that was great for him. Um he doesn't have that same positional flexibility for Spurs. And and I know we've talked about this on previous shows. He doesn't progress the ball. He doesn't move it by a dribbling. He doesn't move it um you know by by passing. He does not make progressive runs. He doesn't he doesn't really do much of anything on the flank. And he's not even really doing the things that we bought him for being good at doing, whether that's because he's playing fullback instead of wingback or whatever. He, he's just not doing them for Spurs. And, you know, that one really, you know, light, nice floated ball for a cane assist aside, he hasn't done much. And, and you know, I just, you know, we bought... Region on the other side and, and he does so much he runs with the ball he's he's attacking he's he's you know positive when he when he had when he's when he has the ball at his feet Doherty does none of those things Aurier does those things and 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 Doherty is not a significant upgrade defensively from Aurier enough for me to be like oh this this makes sense to play him so I, I I really don't like the Matt Doherty experience. I'm probably not the best person to talk about this, but like, yeah, I I, I just there's a lot of problems with Doherty, whether it's positional or whether it's tactical or whatever the deal is. But he he just hasn't done the same things for us as he did for Wolves. So moving on, uh, Tottenham makes me cry. Uh, wants to know what is our what is the Man City versus Spurs highlight you rewatch the most? Uh, I guess I would clarify. Do do we think VAR counts? Uh, I mean, isn't that the the one thing though that is it, whether it's a highlight or not? That is the thing that you, like the VAR no goal. Like yeah, that, that's. That is the thing, right? I mean, for me, it's probably that like that super messy Lamella goal at the end of that four-one drubbing we gave them a couple of years, that we talked about earlier. Like, it's just so there's nothing pretty about it, but it was just like the cap on a great performance for my favorite player. So probably that. There's probably much better highlights. There was the Lamella um, threading the through ball to Erickson um, in the two-one. I think it was Pellegrini's last year there. Um, you know, there's a lot. We've actually, like you said, Brian, there's a lot of you know, I mean, City have handed us our lunch a couple times, but like we've played pretty well against City in the sort of petrodollars era. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that Champions League run is definitely one that you look at and you go, oh, this is exciting. Whether whether it is the Rente goal off his arm or any of the other, like like that Spurs City match in the 
in the quarterfinal was a very exciting Champions League match. There is something, I'm glad you mentioned that, there is something about that Lorente goal that I don't think, maybe maybe this is me speaking out of my ass, but like you, I don't feel like you see the gears turning on players quite as much as you do when Lorente scored that goal. Because like definitely City had all the momentum going, in, like going into that free kick, or that corner kick. And you could just see how the game instantly changed for everyone on the pitch the second that ball went in the net. And it was, I don't know, that, maybe that sounds obvious, but it was just quite a sight to see in terms of like changing the, how that game was going to be played and what, how, that, how it all felt. And you could definitely see it happen to the players on the pitch. Yeah, it, it, like that whole match was, like, you know, the sun goal early on. Like that, like, you know, Sun scoring those those two or I guess it's two like yeah he scores the yeah. two early on that the really put the tie yeah. back into your know, competition like the well, like we were we the, were winning going into it it was just like they, they then we just started trading haymakers with Aguero to open the second leg <laughs> and like those two goals from Sun like make it such that you're like oh shit like this is. Yeah, we this, might, we might win this, and then we yeah. just go on the defensive for like seventy minutes. So, so you know, like I mean, I, I think those are particularly memorable. I, I agree. Like the little Mella goal, like that's an excellent one. Like, it, you know, I, I think a lot of the recent vintage goals are, are are the ones you have to think about because you know the last I don't know what five to eight years are, are kind of when both Spurs and City have been really relevant. But really. You could say, like, the goal that kicked off the modern era of Tottenham Hotspur is Peter Crouch putting it, you know, yep. past City's third-choice keeper in, you know, 2010. You know, that, like, that might be maybe one of the more important goals in Spurs history, and I think it speaks to how far we've come in the last, like, decade or so that that's not the first goal that pops into our head when we think of Manchester yeah, City. I agree, and I and, and certainly, obviously, for for... You know the modern era of Spurs. It is a much more important goal. I just, I just much more enjoy watching like the Urente off his hip slash arm goal. Definitely like his hip. Definitely not his arm. Yeah, much more satisfying. So um, let's let's run through a few more before we have to wrap it up. Um, Praman, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly on Twitter asks. Basically, how do you feel about Marcel Sabitzer? Do you, is, are, are you interested? I don't have not watched enough Bundesliga to form a coherent opinion on him. Uh, we could always use midfielders. Is, is sort of generally right. Brian, do you have any strong thoughts on this? I like Sabitzer. I think. Well, I mean, you know, I I think he played really well against Spurs in the times that we we saw him in the Champions League. I think, you know, you know, he's he's. Probably one of the the best players currently at the at the role that he specifically plays. He's very good, kind of in a in a box to box role. I think he, you know, he he's a really good player. I think he's also a very expensive player, so I don't think he's you know someone that's necessarily going to come been, to Spurs. I don't know how legitimate it is, but we've apparently been linked with him. So, uh, and and you know, if I had been smarter, I've done a little more research and. Told you, I could tell you like Come how on. old he we, is. We know what this podcast is. We know what this podcast is. <laughs> so, but you know, like I, I think if you're looking at a Spurs team where you have Dembele kind of 
or Ndombele, excuse me, playing this sort of like number 10 role and you have a uh, Hoiberg playing a number six. You, so you're looking for somebody to play the eight and while it could Lo be a if we're all being honest with ourselves, sure. it could be. And it could also be Lo you know, and, but you know, like I think Sabitzer is kind of like the quintessential modern eight. You know, he, he, he does a lot of the things that you're looking for. He does passing. He does ball progression. He does getting into the box late and scoring goals. He did that against Spurs in the Champions League. Um, I think he's really good. And if you had an opportunity as Spurs to sign a player like that, you would absolutely jump at the chance. Does he reply? I mean, I understand with injury, as we're seeing this year, like, you know, I think LaCelso and, and Domblay will absolutely play together when they're healthy. But do you, who would he replace in our starting 11 if we signed him? I mean, uh, keeping in mind that with injuries and rotation, that might not be much of an issue. I mean, again, I, th- I, I think, you know, the, the thing you have to look at is, you know, his, his age and, like, what is the profile that he that he is going to ultimately achieve. Like, he's 26, so he's – see, I looked that up while we were doing the show. Good good for me. He's 26, so he's older than La Celso, older than Ndombele. Um, and older so, than Hoybeard. Older, Yeah, exactly, older than Hoybeard. So you have to – ask yourself like what is the role ultimately that he fulfills in this team and so he's kind of a placeholder i guess i i I don't know like to me i really love a three-man midfield that is hoiberg lasso and dombele like i just i just cannot look at a theoretical midfield for any other team and say that they have a better like outside of like bayern munich or yeah, outside of Bayern Munich, really, and say that there's a better three-man midfield than those three guys together. Well, I gotta say, just a cursory glance, and I could be wrong here, but if if the very I'm sure bullshit rumors are true that you would be priced around thirty million pounds, like I, like please, yes, thank you, like I will risk COVID, fly to Europe, and drive him from Germany to England, like sure, and and, and like again, look, he's really good. He does some things that not like. Lacelso is a good passer. He's not necessarily a good, you know, dribbler, progressive dribbler. Um, and Dombele is a very good progressive dribbler and also, like, you know, pretty good passer. But, you know, he takes some high-risk passes as opposed to safe passes. He doesn't really score a lot of goals. Uh, I'm not saying that Sabitzer doesn't have – wouldn't have, you know, some sort of alternate skill set or, or, or different role than the guys that we have. I also just really like the guys that we have, and and, and if you're if you're Sabitzer and you're 26, are you coming to Spurs to maybe like be a rotational piece, or, or are you Depends moving what to like piece means? But I, I, I grant your point. You're not coming there to be the guy. Yeah. So like so like does it make more sense for you to go to you know somewhere like United where Manchester <laughs> where, you, where you play all the time or you know. Uh, I don't know. I, it, some other top six club, like you know, I don't know, Leicester or or, or um, you know, even Liverpool. I, I I I would love to have him at Spurs, but I don't know if the fit is necessarily the best. Uh, our next question comes from Brendan Connolly, who wants to know who is the better Tottenham child, Alba Violet Bale or Ivy Jane Kane. Ivy Jane Kane. Yeah, yeah. No, one is named after the greatest striker uh, in Tottenham history, and the other is named after a tremendous fraud who 
shall never be spoken of again. <laughs> so, look, I love Gareth Bale. I want Gareth Bale to be the greatest, you know, return. You know, I, I, I want this season to be amazing, but ABB sucks. hasn't been so far. So, <laughs> eh. uh, Will Kenneth wants to know: Will Ben get a Jose Mourinho tattoo if Spurs win the league this season? Uh, he better. And I will personally fly to Atlanta and get him drunk enough that that happens. Brian, I'm expecting you to join me in, in this Absolutely. effort. Because I'll getting, do, getting Ben drunk enough to do this. That. Absolutely. 100%. Getting Ben drunk enough to do this will be a challenge, as we discovered before the Champions League final last year. Yeah, getting us all drunk enough for anything other than just being generally sad is a, is a real <laughs> challenge. A challenge for all Spurs fans. Uh, ben Locken wants to know, in a non-pandemic world, do you prefer to watch Spurs alone or at a bar with other fans, Spurs fans? I prefer to watch alone because um, I think other people are very stupid. Um, so like so like here in, in South Florida, we have there's there's a couple of Spurs supporters groups and they're just very dumb. And, like, I, I tried to watch, like, some matches with them, like, in the late AVB, early Pochettino era. And they just really liked Ryan Mason. And I couldn't handle that. And I was just like, no, you know what? I'm not doing this. I'm not subjecting myself to watching with other people. And, and you know, even watching, you know, coming to New York and watching the Champions League final with all of the other people from, you know, the podcast and from Wheeler Dealer Radio was difficult for me because it's just like it it's it's hard to watch it with people that have other strong opinions. Like I very much like to watch it in a void and um just like tweet my thoughts or like save them for this podcast. But then to have like, you know, be in a room with Ben or Michael Cayley or uh, you know Vince or whoever else is very hard because they have other strong opinions and you have to try to you know force yourself not to tell them they're idiots. <laughs> Jeez, uh, I like I don't know. There are games I like going to a bar with other Spurs fans. Um, New York Spurs have a great bar at Flannery's, which I hope is still there. Uh, it's a great. Little, like, not even little, that's part of what's great about it. It's a big old, like, divey Irish pub down in, um, you know, uh, Chelsea, I guess, would be where it is. Midtown, or uh, down by Union Square. It's a great bar. It's fun to be in. I am very happy to go watch this play, say, Aston Villa there. I get much more wound up if we're playing Arsenal or a key Champions League knockout match or you know, a game against Chelsea. Like I have a much harder time because I feel like being around all these other fans really amplifies my stress and it's a Spurs bar. So I don't generally have to worry about, you know, other teams fans showing up occasionally if you're playing like, you know, Reading or, you know, like a team, you know, like Bournemouth, like a team that just doesn't have a big American following or a following in America. Like you might see some other teams fans show up to like watch it. But generally, the teams that will really stress me out, like your Chelsea's, like they're not going to show up at, you know, a Spurs bar. So it's safe in that regard. But all the the anxiety of all the other all, all the other fans really stresses me out. So I generally like what I end up doing for those games is like my friends, some of which are on this podcast who live in New York or have been on this podcast before they sold out and went to Patreon. Um, you know, I will go and watch with them. 
because uh, it's a more of a safe space and I can bounce ideas off of them or bounce like my thoughts off of them. Um, and it's just slightly more of a safe space. Uh, but yeah, I generally don't like going to like a bar full of Spurs fans for a match that I know I'm like, regardless of how it ends, I'm going to find it stressful. Like unless we just go up six nil or something by the 30th minute. Uh, I, I just find that stressful and I would prefer to watch it alone or with a small circle of Spurs fans that, uh, I know that are like my actual friends as opposed to. Just some other people. But I should say that New York Spurs is a great place to watch a Spurs game. And shout out to those guys. Uh, and shout out to Flannery's. So. I, I, I'm i not going to give any shout out to whatever the <laughs> South Florida. The Fort Lauderdale Massive. Like, no shout out to them. Oh, God. Uh, Reno Wallabout, who I've never heard of, um, wants to know, uh, what song would you pay Sergio Reguilon to sing for you? And how much would you pay? You know, I actually thought about this question. Um, Your first mistake. Yeah, I know. It, it, and it's weird for us to put any thought or effort into this podcast. Or preparation. Yeah, honestly. Um, but I think it's got to be like any Justin Bieber song. Really? Yeah, like honestly. Like, what, like doesn't Justin Bieber has a song that's like, I'm not going to sing it because that's going to be embarrassing. Um, but he's got like a song that's like something that, <laughs> it's called like baby. It's like, baby, baby. Oh, like yeah. The, I would love for Sergio Reguilón to sing that to me. Um, I would pay money for that, honestly. I, I would like to hear him sing Ozzy's Dream. Maybe that's a okay. basic answer, but I would like. I mean, to hear we went it. different directions on that on that question, but yeah, that's a good one. Yep, yep. How, how did your song go again, Ryan? Nope, not gonna do it again. <laughs> you have to like work that into the intro one of these weeks. <laughs> yeah, if I was a little more motivated, that would happen this week. Uh, I don't know what that song's called, but I hope it's called Baby. Uh, Brian, I'm sure we will find out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so on that note, I don't think think we can dig any deeper, so I think we're going to end it there. Uh, Please, if you haven't, leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes. It will make us very happy and help our eventual Patreon, I'm sure. Um, Please follow us on our new Twitter account. That's WDR, as in Wheeler Dealer Radio, WDR Podcast. On Twitter.com. Um, Brian, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter.com at Skipjack0079. And don't forget to find us on LinkedIn at Brett Rainbow. So for Brian, for myself, for uh, Ben who can't hang, and of course for Brett Rainbow, uh, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>